And now I invite you to open up in your Bibles to Exodus, to Genesis 11, to Genesis 11, verse 10. Genesis 11, verse 10. This is the genealogy of Shem. Shem was 100 years old and begot Arphaxid two years after the flood. After he begot Arphaxid, Shem lived 500 years and begot sons and daughters. Arphaxid lived 35 years and begot Selah. After he begot Selah, Arphaxid lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Selah lived 30 years and begot Eber. After he begot Eber, Selah lived 403 years and begot sons and daughters. Eber lived 34 years and begot Peleg. And after he begot Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and begot sons and daughters. Peleg lived 30 years and begot Reu. After he begot Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and begot sons and daughters. Reu lived 32 years and begot Serug. After he begot Serug, Reu lived 207 years and begot sons and daughters. Serug lived 30 years and begot Nahor. After he begot Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and begot sons and daughters. Nahor lived 29 years and begot Tira. After he begot Tira, Nahor lived 119 years and begot sons and daughters. Now Tira lived 70 years and begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. This is the genealogy of Tira. Tira begot Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Haran begot Lot. And Haran died before his father Tira in his native land, in Ur of the Chaldeans. Then Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah, his son Abram, and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and died and dwelt there. So the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran. And they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. This is the written and the inerrant word of God. I'm going to ask my son, John, could you go get me some Kleenex, please? Thank you so much. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, we thank you for this word. Help me to open it for our blessing. Help us to believe upon the same God that Abram believed upon. 
And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. It can be said that there's two types of people in the world, the lost and the found. The lost are like those described in Ephesians 2.12. Thank you. That at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's being lost. You're without hope. You're apart from God's people. They had no share in Israel, no share in the promises that God had made to his people. But then they became found. It says in Ephesians 2.13, but now in Jesus Christ, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The outsiders, the Gentiles came close because Christ died for them as well as for the Jews. And I'd like us to see in the scripture today that it could be said there's three types of people. There's the lost, and there's the found, and there's the stuck, referring to Tira, who got stuck in Haran and never arrived in the promised land, never came to the place where God was choosing to reveal himself to his people and to grant them a place to get to know him. Our one commentator has called these three groups of people by three C's. The lost are the confused. The found are the covenant people. And the stuck are the compromised. It's the confused, the covenant people, and the compromised. But I gotta warn you, if you're compromised, don't stay there. If you're stuck, don't stay there because if you wait too long to come to Christ, you would miss him altogether. You can't come to Christ after you die. I want to call you today to this passage and I want you to think about where you are at in that spectrum of confused people, the world without God, lost in their sin, a compromised people, who are stuck on the way to the promised land, but they never get there because they make compromises with the world. And finally, the covenant people. That's the people associated with Abraham. People come all the way home to God by faith in his promises. So first, let's talk about those confused people. Some of the most self-confident people in the world are utterly confused. You got their loud mouths on television or on the internet. They're so sure of themselves that God is irrelevant, that God's order for creation expressed in the Bible needs to be turned over on its head. They think they know the truth, but they have in fact suppressed the real truth in unrighteousness. And the more we suppress it, the more confused we get. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to Romans 1.18. It's on page 999. Just grab the pew Bible. It's that red Bible in front of you, in the chair in front of you. And turn to page 999. And you'll see there in Romans 1 and verse 18. It's hard words, so I want you to see it's right in the Bible. I'm not making this up, okay? Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men 
who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. We naturally know the truth that there is a God. We have a natural understanding that there is right and wrong. We have an understanding there is a standard in the world, but we suppress that. And because what Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even as eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him, but became Glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Now, futility of thinking is confusion. A darkening of foolish hearts is a picture of the utter confusion that came upon the world when man tried to make much of himself, as we saw last week. There's been a general downgrade when you go from Genesis uh, chapter 3 onward. You noticed how in the genealogy in chapter 11 there, all the ages of the people got shorter and shorter and shorter. That's because sin was infiltrating the DNA. Every part of us is affected by sin. Our emotions, our mind, our, our will, our, our health. It's all affected by, God, by, by this rebellion against God. It invades our life. And last week we saw the upward thrust of arrogance with the Tower of Babel, a tower whose top is in the heavens. They wanted to be like God, like Adam and Eve did in the garden. There's a move upward of arrogance. There's also a move outward of self-promotion. They wanted to make a name for themselves rather than glorifying God. And finally, there's a move inward of withdrawal from God's will and God's word. They refuse to fill the earth and subdue it according to God's command in Genesis 9.1. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So our confusion is this. We are trying to reach heaven, our desired destiny, on our own through our works, through building a tower or through our good deeds, whatever we think those are. We are confused about whose name is to be glorified. It's meant to be God's, but we are self-promoters. And we're confused about our mission in life. We think it's about circling the wagons, protecting ourselves financially, politically, socially. But we are meant as Christians, as believers, to take risks, to step out in faith, to fill the earth and subdue it. Some of the daughters and sons of this church have stepped out. Ariana's in Lancaster. She's serving the Lord. Jared's in Lancaster. There's others who stepped out and they're back. We are not in a circle the wagons mentality in this church, nor in our mission for Jesus Christ. We are meant to fill the earth and subdue it. And now check out this risk. Verse 1 of chapter 12 of Genesis now the Lord had said to Abram, that means back when he was in Ur, he had said it, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. Now this rebellion about our destiny, about our name and about our mission in life 
led God to give over that confused people to a debased mind. He says in Romans 1.28, he gave them over to it. And so what happened is God scattered them. They were already confused. I want to emphasize that. God doesn't scatter them for no reason. They are confused about who they are and what they're supposed to be living for. And he just puts some legs on that. He says, I'm going to mix up your language. You're going to scatter all over the earth. And sometimes we wonder, why does bad stuff happen in my life? What, what's going on, God? And rather than wave and point the finger at God, we need to be considering his word and God's plan. And consider this that sometimes the bad things now are meant to warn us about a worse thing in the future. If we're lonely now, he is warning us about the ultimate loneliness of the outer darkness, where it says in Matthew 22, 13, if you rebel from me, you're going to the outer darkness. That's when we die. That's the worst place. If you're lonely now, God is giving you a little wake-up call. Don't stay lonely. Trust in Jesus. Come to his church. Be with the body of Christ so you don't face an eternal loneliness. And when we have pain in our life, sometimes we feel, why am I going through this? C.S. Lewis puts it this way, pain insists upon being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our consciences, but shouts in our pains. He shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Our pain is meant to warn us of a future pain in hellfire. We better get the warning now rather than be lost in the agonies of hell forever. You see, their confusion was something that God labeled as confusion, and then he just showed it. You're confused. I'm going to scatter you across the land. And the reason for that in terms of God's purpose of grace was that by scattering them across the world, he allowed their rebellion to be diffused and spread out in rather than one place, the Tower of Babel. He spread it out so there was time for him to reveal himself uniquely to Israel and to allow his grace to operate in Abraham and Abraham's family and then in the nation of Israel all the way down to Jesus. As that grace, that love which we don't deserve was worked out there, it was culminated in Jesus Christ. And then after Jesus... God did a return to the Gentiles. All those he had scattered, he was now offering salvation to also. So there is a purpose even in the judgment. There's a purpose in this scattering and confusion. Meredith Klein, a great commentator, said, The people on the plain of Sharnar received a name of shame, Babel. Not a great name. Babel is a pun on the word confused. By disrupting the advance of Satan's anti-Christ program and by forestalling final judgment by scattering the people and confusing their language, 
the Lord was remembering his covenant of common grace given to Noah in chapter 9 and was providing for an interim history of sufficient length to accomplish his covenant of redemptive grace. That's the plan of salvation I was talking about in the sermon title. There had to be time for this revelation of the one true God in Israel and his grace working out there. And in the background, you have all of rebellious humanity spread across the world rather than concentrated in Babel. God is working his plan out and he is bringing us even to Abraham. We see that genealogy. A couple high points of the genealogy is that we have Eber in verse number 16 of chapter 11. And that is where we get the name Hebrews from. In verse 18, we have Peleg, which means division. And from Peleg on, you go down to Abraham instead of going through the brother Joktan, which is found in Genesis chapter 10. We have all these people leading down to Abram. And then we see in him the culmination of God's blessing in focusing on one people while the table of the nations in chapter 10 will wait for the good news until Jesus Christ comes again. This is a confusion that still is in our world. And there are dramatic examples of it. You think back in the 1940s and the 1950s, the medical doctors got so full of themselves, they got so proud, they got confused about not harming people. Instead, they harmed people. They took people like Rosemary Kennedy, who at the age of 23 was having some problems in her life. She had some difficulties. And Joseph, the father, arranged for her to have a lobotomy. And they got warehoused in Wisconsin. You know, basically, people get confused. They get messed up. And doctors do terrible things. And the same stuff is happening today in different ways. Not lobotomies, but, but different things. And it, it isn't just those powerful people. Yes, confusion comes to us because we have not been paying attention to whose name we're supposed to glorify. And we haven't been paying attention to the fact that we're not supposed to get to heaven on our own. And we haven't been paying attention to our mission in life. So here's how you get to heaven. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Acts 16.31. Believe on him. And as far as your perp the name of Christ, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Acts 4.12. And as far as your purpose in life, your mission, your chief end, your purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. It's all wrapped up in Jesus Christ. Now that's the confused people, but there are compromised people like Tira. They seem to be going in the right direction for a while, but then they're compromised by the world. Derek Kidner writes concerning Tira. Tira took his son Abraham and others of his family from the land of Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. He was stuck in Haran. 
rather than obeying God and going all the way to Canaan, the promised land. This Ur of the Chaldeans is probably where, near where Mount Ararat is today in modern Turkey. And they went southwest from there to Haran, which is between the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers in what's called the Fertile Crescent, one of the most wonderful places you could live. Fertile because these two rivers. And they stayed there in Haran. <coughs> Rather than going on to the Promised Land, rather than going on southwest to Canaan. And so what happened is he thought, this is a pretty good place to live. I'm just going to stay here. And we can get distracted by the world. Excuse me. We can get distracted by the world, and we can cling to our idols. It says in Joshua 24, verse 2, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. They served other gods, and they refused to come out of those. Terah got stuck. And we can hear about the Bible. We can hear about Christ. We can even hear about his church. And we can have a sympathy to it. And we can take a couple steps toward it. But then we get stuck. Our old gods, our old idolatries, even family members can hold us back. It's something we can't let happen. We need to pursue God as he has been revealed to us. As we see, Tira was desiring to stay, but God brought Abraham Fourth, it says in Acts 7, 2 and 3, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, Get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. We don't hear criticisms of Abraham as sort of being a slacker and holding back. Uh, most commentators say he was merely being respectful to his father, keeping the family. But when he died, he moved on. He heard the call and he went forward. But Tira got stuck. He was limping between two opinions. He had heard about this God, the Lord, who was revealed in, in, in uh, Genesis 9:26. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be a servant. He had that Lord. He was aware of that Lord, and his son had gotten a call, and he was going and facilitating that. But he also had all these other gods, as it says in 1 Kings 18:21. And Elijah came to the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. You've got to make a decision today. Are you going to go after the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? Will you go to the one who has been revealed to you in the Holy Bible? Or will you go with the gods of this world? God is holy. God is different than us. 
It says in Isaiah 46, 9, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me. Is that the God you're going to serve? Or are you going to serve the gods of your own creation? There is a movement in America over the last 30, 40 years, which some uh, theologians have identified as moralistic, therapeutic deism. There was a 2005 study of the faith of teenagers in the church. And they figure if teenagers are growing up in good Bible-believing churches like this one, well then what, it is it, what is it that they believe? And these theologians were shocked to find that most teenagers in evangelical churches believe the following five things. A God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on earth. Well, that's not so bad, okay? We'll agree on that. But secondly, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. In other words, religion is dumbed down to just a set of actions, a set of attitudes that we have, rather than understanding who God is, that the one who is holy wants us to be good. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Well, what are we supposed to feel like if we're a sinner? We're not supposed to be free of our guilt. We're supposed to be dealing with our guilt as it's dealt with in the Bible. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life, except when God is needed to resolve a problem. So here's basically you call on God as the rescue worker when things go south. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. But the Bible teaches us that it's the people who trust in Jesus who go to heaven when they die. It's the people who know they're not good and trust in Jesus, those are the people who go to heaven when they die. So we need to be aware that in our culture, there's a lot of muddy thinking about God and come to the Bible for our answers. Finally, the covenant people are the people who step out in faith and they step out believing upon God. Now the Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. There's three get outs. Get out from our country, get out from your family, from your father's house. In other words, there can be no cosmic allegiance to our structures in our country that is above our allegiance to Jesus Christ. I have more in common with a Canadian Christian who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ than I have in an unbelieving American. I have a common loyalty to our Constitution. I respect the armed forces. I acknowledge the sovereignty of God over our political leaders, but that is all under the umbrella of faith in Jesus Christ. I need to be willing to come out. Back in the day when I was in the 60s, there were uh, those who said, America, love it or leave it. Well, that's just another version of what some politicians in America are saying to candidates for governor. You aren't a New Yorker because you have certain beliefs, so you leave the state. 
It doesn't work. On the left and on the right, we have an allegiance to Jesus Christ, first of all. And that happened back in the 60s, and it's true today. We do not marginalize each other and push each other out of the state of New York because we don't happen to agree with one another. We want to reach the lost with Jesus Christ and not push them away. And secondly, we are not to have an allegiance to our family in the sense that we are going to allow our distant relatives to control our life and keep us away from Jesus. We just are not going to let that happen. We are not going to take the beliefs that we grew up with as, as much as we love our parents. We're not going to allow them to detract from the preaching of God's word. Remember that the uh, uh, disciples, when Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men, they immediately left their nets and followed him. That doesn't mean that they abandoned responsibility. They made provision in some way for their wives and their kids because the Bible teaches us that we cannot treat our family in a way that we don't honor our father and mother. It says that in Mark chapter 7. But it does mean that when Jesus called, they listened. And it also means that we must be ready even to leave our Father's house. That we would be ready to serve God. Serve God in this country. Serve God as missionaries. Serve God wherever he would take us. And so the call to faith is a call to disentangle. To disentangle from our uh, views of of God, which are idolatrous, and instead, as it says in verses 2 and 3, to accept greatness on God's terms, verse 2, to receive protection on God's terms, verse 3a, and to know the blessing of other people through us on God's terms, verse 3b. If we are going to have faith, that means we will trust God to make us a great nation. Now that's interesting. Look back at verse 30 of chapter 11. Sarai was barren. She had no child, but Abram believed what God said, that he was going to make a great nation out of him, even though his wife was barren. It means that we engage with greatness on the way he presents it to us, even if it seems unlikely. And then we receive protection on God's terms. It means, basically, I'm going to trust you to vindicate me. You are going to bless those who bless me, and you are going to curse those who curse me. And so I don't have to take that matter of cursing into my hands. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord of hosts. I will repay. And so God is saying to us, we will trust, trust me. I will repay at the end and you will be covered. Accept our protection through God. And then finally, I am going to bless you, he says to Abraham, and you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this means that we are blessed to have a relationship with God through faith. It says that in Abraham, he looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He looked forward to a destiny in heaven. 
And that heavenly place is, is the builder and maker is God. He trusted God to bring him to heaven. Salvation is God's work. Take a look at verse 2. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Today, I want to call you to this Savior, the one that is the seed of the woman that we talked about in the book beginning of Genesis. That seed passed on through Abraham, went down through the generations, through David, through all the kings, and it came into Mary. And that seed of the woman then had an overshadowing of the Holy Spirit to bring the conception of Jesus. And that is the promise of the gospel I hold to before you today. Don't stay in confusion. Beware compromise. Come and believe in God's covenant promises. It says in Galatians 3.14 that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. As you trust in God, you are going to get a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit upon you. You will be able to resist sin in a way you haven't before. You will be able to live in the power of the Holy Spirit to face the idols in our lives. You will be destined for heaven. Trust in Jesus Christ as Abraham did. Let us pray. Oh, Lord our God, we come to you this day. I pray, oh God, that you will bless hearts here, that we will turn away from the place of being stuck like Tira, that you bring us out of our confusion and that you bring us unto the God who makes promises to us. That's you, oh Lord the covenant-making God who will carry us through all the way to heaven. Lord, bless us this day that we will trust in you and receive the promise of the Spirit. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.